0: Welcome to the
1: show. Followed that George Floyd case. I followed his history. And it turns out he he was convicted of eight felonies. He was a professional criminal. And what the policeman did, the hold he had on him, was perfectly legal. It was part of the training in a police manual. And before the trial ended, the, uh, the manual that had that part in it was removed As evidence that he did nothing illegal or wrong, and the police, in even small towns here in South Carolina, I talk to them and they won't do a damn thing if somebody's doing something, because if the if the guy pretends like he got injured by the policeman grabbing him, the policeman will be fired, and the guy will groan that he, he has been injured bodily. And he'll sue, and the, the government will give him money. And in New York, is even worse. I talked to a man from New York. He finally got out of the police force there. He said, everyone wants to quit. And I'm talking, this is two years ago. And he was a black man, and he was a policeman, a very good policeman. And he believed in applying the law, but he had to leave because he was not allowed to Anyone stealing anything or committing a crime, he was not allowed to touch him. He could only follow them and report to the police department where he was and ask for more help. And then when the judge finally hears the, the the case, the judge just dismisses the criminal. That's not America. That's anarchy. Total anarchy produced by the current administration.
2: Well, Ed, there's actually a new there's a new documentary out that kind of sheds some light on this matter. Uncomfortable, though it may be to many, but it will be exactly in line with what you just said. It's called The Fall of Minneapolis. And it has looked at this very differently. It's reexamined the case. And now that the emotion is away from this, again, had there not been white, black, if all the cops had been black, I think it would have been different. If George Floyd had been white, it would be different. It's a shame that we can't look at that without the context of race having meaning to this and ascribed meaning that wasn't necessarily true. Uh, The new documentary has re-examined the case and reached some startling conclusions. The myth of an innocent Floyd callously murdered by a racist cop is not only questioned, but shaken to its core. It's produced by journalist Liz Collin of Minnesota's Alpha News. The film outlines a very different scenario. Officers working in difficult, fast-moving conditions to apprehend a volatile, heavily intoxicated suspect a viral video that prompts worldwide mass protests and a virtue signaling liberal elite all too ready to rush to judgment. And as academic and New York Times contributor John McWhorter, who is black, commented, we were lied to. The whole way we think about George Floyd is wrong, including the way I thought of him. And I had no idea that Derek Chauvin didn't kill him. So it's looking at all of the police cam footage on the same day before they got on the scene. And it's a very different story. So, Ed, you know, it's it's a shame that history... It takes, a, it takes a while for history to correct itself, but that story, it, it, and that's why I think the political left jumps on a crisis. They don't want, they're not interested in truth. They're interested in advancing a given cause that results in a bronze statue being erected of George Floyd, who is a, a horrible human being, by the way, to your point, or if you're still there, I don't know if you're still there, but, but Ed, you know, I appreciate your call and you, you're absolutely right. I mean, the narrative on George Floyd is going to shift. I think a lot of people who, you know, the entire BLM movement, it, it's it, it's interesting to me that the BLM movement, the judgment of the BLM movement and the narrative there fell apart before the George Floyd story fell apart. In other words, the George Floyd story birthed the BLM, Antifa, CHOP, all of that that has morphed into the Palestinian cause group, the same group of overlapping angry Paid for professional protesters, but but the narrative of BLM fell apart, and we saw the waste, fraud, and abuse there, and we saw how people took advantage of people to advance cause because it was in their best. In, it was they were successful. The more people were angry, so always beware of groups that necessitate having money because they're angry. It's one thing if you have a cause. If you believe taxes should be lower and you're going to fight and raise money to fight tax policy, that's one thing. But if you're doing it because they're all evil, evil, whatever. Uh, Grant, welcome to the broadcast. How the heck are you? Well, thank you for my call. Yes, sir. Um, hey, I just wanted to comment on, on this uh, BLM
1: movement. Um, you know, I'm from Charlotte, born and raised. and uh, You know, this whole smash and grab thing that's going on. Um, You know, people can't even defend their own stores and their merchandise. And, um, you know, when they try to intervene, they get in trouble for it. And I just think it's uh, pretty asinine. So just wanted to comment on that.
2: uh, Grant, you're absolutely correct. And and to believe there's not a – the other weird part about that is to believe that there's not a cost for that. So if a store in Charlotte gets broken into by a flash mob, remember when flash mobs were fun? Like everybody would show up and they would dance or do a dance or sing a song or something like flash mob for Christmas Carol. Really cool stuff. But now it's a highly structured, organized smash and grab. So they organize it, structure it, and execute it with a military-style precision and hit. And then the stores, unfortunately, due to legal issues, due to not legal, but, 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 but they are quasi-legal, they don't want their employees hurt either. And they don't want to kill people because they'll get accused of being racist if they kill someone. So they, they have trouble defending their property. So what they do is they turn it over to insurance. Insurance pays them out. But ultimately, those insurance rates go up. Ultimately, the price of goods and services goes up. So it is a punishment. Every one of those smash and grabs is a punishment to the rest of us in society. Or it gets even funnier. Not funnier, haha, but funnier, ironic. It is that in many communities where this transpires... They, they have struggled mightily to get more goods and services into those given communities. And then the smash and grabs happen, like in San Francisco or in Charlotte, for that matter. But let's go San Francisco first, because it's actually much more present there. And those smash and grabs happen. And then those stores decide, you know what? It's not worth it to us. We're going to shut down. Then what happens? Then the same cadre of race baiting hate mongers go out and say, see, that store is racist because they won't open a store in a minority neighborhood they never acknowledge the reasons why that store won't open. And the unfortunate reality is as many stores that are looking to open in new places have to look at that. They have to look at the, the flash mob, the crime. They have to look at that, unfortunately. So until those communities start policing themselves in many ways from an action standpoint, it's going to continue to erode. And there's going to be a balkanization. There already is underway. People are moving with their pocketbooks. They're moving into different areas. They're they're balkanizing the nation by political thing, by political striations. You see that in North Carolina. You see that in Florida. You see it in Texas, even Kansas. But that that's not healthy for us. But it's because the people who lived there don't want to stay and fight. They're tired. They're worn out. And they see that the people at the top don't care. I'm shocked. I'm shocked every day that there are people that still live in Chicago, Detroit, and New York. Now, I don't mean that to be neat, mean. I've been to all of those places. I remember reading stories years ago out about the South Detroit and how much of those neighborhoods that have been abandoned have been reclaimed by wildlife. There are wildlife living in a lot of abandoned buildings, there's raccoons and vultures and foxes and all sorts of critters that have moved in because it's just been abandoned. There's no there's no humans that are living in parts of it. It's like It's like a war zone. So until these people have some – if they continue to go down the path of saying everything's about race and continue to say everything's going down the path of, well, blame the cops, you're, you're never going to have a civilized society without law enforcement. You're not going to have a civilized society where laws don't matter. You're just going to be a bunch of anarchists, and it's going to get worse. It's unfortunately going to get worse in many of those communities because they don't value the law. I was just reading in the break about <laughs> – it's. You know, as Charlotte seems to be a little focused on the crime side, I was kind of just kind of, okay, reviewing some things. And and the story on WBTV about a, a, woman, so a woman was arrested in connection. And the headline just caught me. A woman was arrested in connection, not with like, you know, five car break-ins, but 184 vehicle break-ins in Charlotte. According to the jail record, she faces 249 charges. I think she's the only person in the news that's facing more charges than the former president including felony conspiracy and breaking or entering a vehicle. But 200, 164 different vehicles. And in, here's the other thing. You know how old she is? She's 19. She's 19 years old. That's I mean, think about that. 184 vehicle break-ins in the Dilworth area. She's booked. So she's an adult. She can be tried as an adult. But 190, she's 19 years old. So you can say, who failed her? You you can say, okay, once she's an adult, so she made her own decisions. But she was also failed in many ways at some point along the line. Her value system, uh, cries for help, I don't know, parent, two parent, one parent, I would guess one parent, I don't know, I have no idea. Her background, nothing about her, other than 184 vehicle break-ins, 249 charges, and She's 19 years old. How do you detail spin that? I mean, as a former pilot, I would say that's a that's almost an unre. I want to believe that there's hope for someone like that. I don't know where what kind of plea deal someone with 249 charges can get in Mecklenburg. 184 vehicle break-ins. That's that's astonishing. That it took that long to catch her. 100. it's just un- unbelievable. At 19, even she would do 10 a month. <laughs> yeah. You know. That'd be 18 a year and a half at, at, at I'm sorry if you did if it was 10 a week it would be you know a, just unbelievable. So that's where you think as an unrecoverable tailspin how do you reform someone like that? What hope does someone like that have? I want to believe there is hope for someone like that. doesn't look like she killed anybody doesn't look like she committed a violent crime, certainly property damage property crime how many other but there had to be a lot of other people involved in that criminal enterprise a lot of other people had to be involved with that but it's it, to me it's more tragic than anything else that someone would find themselves in that kind of situation so uh you know and, and unfortunately she's not alone she's not alone in that one so i don't know I did want to get a little bit into the John Fetterman situation. I don't want to belabor it. He's he's a senator from Pennsylvania. We have our own interesting senators here in North Carolina that are more concerned about being viewed certain ways when elections come up and then kind of staying out of the public eye for six years and then running again. And it's kind of that dance that they do. Uh, Fetterman, you know, burst onto the national scene, uh, former lieutenant governor of the state of Pennsylvania, I believe, and or mayor. He's a mayor in a small town. But but he obviously had some. He had a stroke right before, right after the primary runs against Mehmet Oz, an accomplished physician, very successful individual. Somehow finds a way to win, and then promptly checks himself into hospital for depression. Right for being in, clearly has trouble auditory processing. and know the prognosis for someone with with what happened to him wasn't and still isn't all that great, and so they did an interview with Politico and there's two things about the interview that are interesting to me. One, he doesn't give a flying flip what you or anyone else thinks of him. He doesn't even care what his own party thinks of him. He's going to say what he's, and he's very, very good at trolling people. He's not quite as good as Trump at trolling folks, but he's pretty remarkable at trolling. So He's Democrat Senator from Pennsylvania and Politico sat down with him. Politico, the decidedly left leaning uh, folks, he still suffers from the auditory processing. So when they sat down with him, Here are some of the questions. I want to just kind of look at the bias of Politico in asking these questions. He says, are you surprised that so many progressives disagree with you in Israel? And he's not. He says, look, he said, I mean, of course, I expected there will always be diversity of opinions and that as long as things go, that the Democratic caucus might splinter more. I would be the last man standing to be absolutely there on the Israeli side of this with no conditions. Now, he's using a pad to make sure he can process because he doesn't hear he doesn't process what he hears that well, so he has to read it. But still, he stood there. So they go after him again. And so they're, they're trying to find a way to make him look more progressive in his progressive circles of Politico's readership. And they say, well, what about the prime minister? Benjamin Netanyahu, should, should he remain in power? So Fetterman gets that, and he goes, he's the leader that we have, and that's the leader we're working with. That's it. He doesn't say anything else. So they go, wait a minute, wait a minute. Politico, still trying to get him to parse his words or at answer a question the way they want him to answer it. And they go, and I can't believe they printed this bias. Even some Israelis are frustrated with Benjamin Netanyahu. And he goes, to me, it's not a referendum on him. It's just what we have to do to stand with Israel. And I do agree with the prevailing opinion that Hamas must be destroyed. So Politico, not to be out, continues. And I can't believe, again, they printed their inane, insane bias here. But the next question, they were final question number four of all the questions to ask Fetterman, they're still on Israel. But should Netanyahu stay in power? Yes or no? He already answered that. They keep pounding him. He said, I don't have a vote in that. That's for the Israeli citizens to decide. They have much more at stake. But what I can say is I believe that an overwhelming majority of Israeli citizens would want a senator standing with them and their right to destroy Hamas and not somebody that would split or peel away when things continue and as more and more anti-Semitism continues. So then, they go after him again. You have some newfound fans on the online right, because you support Israel. I don't spend any time on Twitter. That's the truth. I encourage you. You can check my personal phone. I don't even go on Twitter, if I had to. So, But it's amazing. So that th- they get completely flustered with him on his support of Israel, and to which he doesn't care. He doesn't care that it's Politico. And I, you, you, you have to. Does he not care, or does he not realize the consequences of that? But he doesn't care. He truly, I think, I think he cares about what he cares about. So then they went about Biden. They said, "Well, he's been kind of critical of Democrats, so let's go there." Uh, Biden's campaign hasn't announced any battleground staff in Pennsylvania. Should the campaign be more built out at your state since it's a swing state? He goes, "I don't give anybody advice unless it's on fashion, because you know he wears the hoodies and stuff, which I thought was hysterical." All I do know is that the president's going to win Pennsylvania. They go on and say, well, we've talked about this months ago. You told me that you thought Biden would win Pennsylvania and win the overall election, but things have gotten worse. Trump is now ahead in polls. And this is Politico. You expect it to be some level of pre- – these are just like fifth-grade questions. Doesn't really matter, he says. There's a whole lifetime in politics between now and next November. I'm not worried about it, and I'm very vocal about that. While Democrats that are being very critical about the president, I think he's still going to win. I think he's still going to So, Fetterman, he – I will give him this. He just, he boils things down in a very simple way. And what I do appreciate about Fetterman, I disagree with him on many things, but at least he doesn't spin. I don't think he has the desire, and it maybe he doesn't have the capacity, but there is zero spin in the way he answers things. I wish more of our political hacks were like that. Don't you? I, don't you wish more of them could just answer straight-up questions instead of spinning it like Karine Jean-Pierre? Hey, I'm looking at that weather, man, as, it's, 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 as, you know, cloudy or whatever, 62 degrees, the coast is fantastic. It's like 75 degrees and sunny and beautiful and perfect. It's heaven. But uh, yeah, Thursday, it's like winter decided that, okay, Christmas, you'll get a break rainy, but you know what? We're moving on into winter here into January. It's going to be like 31 degrees Friday night, 28 degrees Saturday night, 29 on Monday, So in the highs in the low 50s, it's going to feel below freezing for all you wonderful charlatans. So just thought I'd throw that out there. So you're going to have to make sure those coats are still applicable. By the way, side note, I don't want to belabor this too much. The situation in Colorado, you're all familiar with by now. The Supreme Court there, partisan Supreme Court, in a 4-3 vote with three Democrats voting against it, decided to remove the president from the ballot. Excuse me, the former president from the ballot. So Trump, not going to be on the ballot until the Supreme Court of the United States says this is probably not good and not legal. But Michigan had just the opposite half. The Michigan Supreme Court rejected that argument and said, no, uh, we're not going to do that. And, and what's interesting about that is Michigan's actually a swing state. So Michigan could go Republican or Democrat next year. But don't. what I find interesting is that the story from CNN talking about this it, they're very upset that it didn't happen. Now, the, the the wildness to me is that Democrats, excuse me, not all – when we say Democrats, we talk about all. It's one of the, one of the troubling things about having these kind of discussions. A, a big chunk of Democrats don't want there to be a race between a Democrat and a Republican or anyone else. They would love for it to be just an ascension that Biden doesn't face any significant opposition and becomes president for a second term. Even if he's part of the Walking Dead, I mean, they would just assume him be there. That no matter, no matter what, no matter the issues, no matter uh, the situation with China and money and money moving around and millions of dollars that they can't really explain what they got it for, they don't care about that. What they do care about is they want to make sure he doesn't that he doesn't have an opposition that can beat him. Now it's one thing to say. Hey, I have better ideas. I mean, I've run for office before. I ran in a district that was three to one Democrat in, in in the central part of the state, and you just had to give out, give people an alternative. Go out there and work for the issues. Now, some things are so gerrymandered, it's not going to happen. I got very lucky. It was a time when our county had shifted, had, and it happened. And I got in, got in twice. But you had to work for it. And no, at no time did I say I really don't want my opponent to be allowed to be on the ballot. It never occurred to me. You know, that I don't want my opponent. Sure, I would love to win, but how hollow would a victory be if you didn't beat the best the other team had to offer? That's silly. I mean, that, but that's the way Democrats are thinking, well, we'll just take him off the ballot. And, and so CNN's really upset that the Michigan court did not remove Trump from the ballot. They're upset about that, CNN. And along those lines, what, what do we have to say about what's going on in the media because, you know, when Trump said fake news, we all it's kind of funny because now we all know what that means, right? He was kind of the first person to say it that way. I mean, Rush Limbaugh and other talk show hosts, including myself, were always chagrined at the lack of depth of news and how news had become, one, shallower and, two, more biased. We had seen this transition from CNN and Head- – remember when Headline News and Bobby Batista and, and you could watch it? it was you, you pretty much felt like you were getting news. And then somehow it evolved. I, I think the evolution, in my mind, took place during the the Clinton in, through the Clinton years, when when the left felt like they were unfairly attacked in the way Bill Clinton conducted himself and how dare they go after him and the whole Monica Lewinsky stuff and the the impeachment Ken Starr. But Christian Witten has a, a nice piece. I believe it's a good piece over sub. It's called Super Macro Substack. And I know you've never heard of it before, but it's but it's a great piece and it's worthy of being read. So we'll do that. The media has a growing problem. People aren't buying its lies. The implications of this reality are potentially huge, as voters seem poised in 2024 to turn against the ruling progressive elites to a degree not seen since 2016. Start with the economy. The administration of Biden and its lick spittles in the media just don't understand why people aren't in love with bionomics. Take CNN, the once reputable, if left-leaning outlet that became permanently hysterical and deranged when Trump was president. It reported in September, quote, What's the biggest problem with the US economy right now? The vibes are off by almost any objective measure. Americans aren't doing much better economically than they were nearly three years ago when Biden took office. End quote. The left wing UK guardian chimed in. The lack of confidence in the economy has many academics and politicians puzzled. End quote. Puzzled vibes or not, according to Real Clear Politics, 59% of Americans disapprove of the way Biden is handling the economy. The media points to gross domestic product growth and low unemployment, but both of those are juiced by federal deficit spending that will average a wildly unsustainable $1.9 trillion a year during Biden, Biden's term, and without which the economy would be in deep, deep, deep recession. The problem for Biden and the lying media is that cumulative inflation amounting to 17.4% from the time Biden took office through November of 23 will exceed 20% by the end of his term. Furthermore, these official numbers are phonied up, as anyone knows, who has tried to buy food or acquire housing. Real prices paid by real Americans will likely be up more than 30% during Biden's term. Now, there's more to this, and I think it's I think it's germane. I think it's interesting, and I know many of you have listened to me, oh, he's talking about Biden again. No, but this is is real. This isn't like just chummed up, and why aren't we getting the kind of reality check from media the way we should be? This is more an indictment of media than it is Biden, by the way.
0: All right, do the current world events have you wondering whether we are teetering on the edge of catastrophe? Are you concerned it's going to reach our shores? Okay, so what are you doing about your concerns? Let me help. Carolina Readiness Supply. Camping and hiking supplies, even because being prepared is just smart. Carolina Readiness Supply has 2,000 square feet of supplies and educational materials that you'll need for any kind of emergency. In Waynesville, and always at CarolinaReadiness.com, veteran owned Carolina Readiness Supply. Will you be ready when the lights go out? CJ, welcome to the show. What's on your brain today?
1: Uh, yes, uh, I'm wondering uh, this Bill Graham just came into the picture. I know he's an attorney, he's very smart, has a lot of money. How does he fare with uh, Mark Robinson and Dale Falwell
2: well you've you've got uh three, four, you've got five people in that race you've You've got uh, Andy, gosh, I wish I remember Andy's last name right Andy Wells, and he's also in there former legislator, and you've got another gentleman whose name I don't recall right off the bat. but I, Bill Graham has money he's, he's got a team behind him, he's marketing himself. <laughs> You know the issue. The issue with Bill Graham is he made his way onto the scene really years ago with stopping the gas tax from going up. He had some success. He really did have some success pushing the legislature to kind of slow down the gas tax gas tax progression. He ran for governor uh, in a huge group with Pat McCrory when Pat McCrory ran the first time, and you know you know didn't didn't win obviously, but but I think he sees that Mark Robinson has some issues that will haunt him through the campaign. And he didn't see someone who could be that second place and, and rise to the occasion. So he felt that that Dale Falwell, though Dale Falwell probably is the most successful record. Excuse me, I would say he is. Dale Falwell has the most successful legislative record and success as a statewide treasurer, actually leading an organization. The Lieutenant Governor's office is a small office. It, it's just a handful of folks and, you know, they're on the State Board of Education and they have other places. But Mark Robinson has made his way in the world by having these, you know, fire and brimstone speeches. He's a phenomenally uh, charismatic speaker. He really draws the grassroots to him. And that's where his mainstay he's got He's got issues in his background that I think the left is going to have a field day with. Some of the anti-Semitic comments he's made, I think, will haunt him. I think Josh Stein, in particular, is looking forward to that engagement. So, who's racing? it? I think it's Mark Robinson's to lose, mainly because they're keeping uh, his team is keeping a, a tighter grip on the things he says and limits where he says them, uh, so as not to do more damage right now. But Bill Graham thinks, as other people do who are running, as Andy Wells and Dale Falwell know, anything can happen. But that primary is coming up very quickly, and it'll be settled, and then it's going to be on. The issue that I think Bill, Andy, and Dale Fall will have is raising money. You know, Mark Robinson has kind of sucked the oxygen out of the room with respect to donors. Having Trump support him also has limited and frozen out a lot of the donor class. So we'll just have to wait and see. Uh, so I, I hope, CJ, that that answered your question and, and helped, uh, helped clarify <laughs> if if at all, what's going on out there. The I think, uh, uh, depending on who it is, so right now, unless something significant changes, it, it appears that it's going to be you know Donald Trump versus Joe Biden, but that's a political millennia uh, away. I mean, it really is between now and the election with respect to what could happen, what could go sideways, what could be, you know, who the nominee could be. And Mark Robinson could benefit from that. And it's possible that Mark, a lot could happen between now and then. We don't know. I mean, there's certainly a lot of questions that need to be answered and we'll see how that all shakes out. So I, I know right now, if I had to make a prediction, if I were a betting man, I would say that Donald Trump and Mark Robinson are the ones on the ballot. And how that all shakes out for North Carolina, I just don't know. It's going to be a crazy election year. And for the Democrats, one of the most significant problems the Democrats face is, do they want, how closely do they want to be affiliated with Biden? On the one hand, I think Josh Stein absolutely wants to run against Mark Robinson. I think Josh Stein believes that's a really good place for him to, to be. You know, as to someone, the first, the first Jew elected to statewide office running against someone who's made anti-Semitic comments, who's, who's had some some issues with abortion, who's had some issues with finances, who's had some issues with the IRS. I think that they're look they're they're excited. The people I know in that circle and in that orbit are kind of excited about that possibility. So we'll see. Now, having said that, the problem for Josh Stein is you know he's got to get through his own pro- primary with the Supreme Court Justice Mike Morgan. I, I don't think it's going to be a problem for him. But how closely does he want to be, able to be affiliated with Team Biden? So when Biden, who needs North Carolina from an electoral standpoint? When he comes to the airport, is Josh Stein going to be waiting there, greeting him with open arms and embracing the Biden presidency? I don't know. Uh, I you know, I, I think he kind of has to, he's hitched his wagon to that, and we'll just have to see. Now, in the meantime, we have been looking, because the, the issues are kind of stacking up with Biden. And, and, and again, I'll say one other thing. Dale Falwell, I've known Bill Graham for many years personally. I have known Mark Robinson for a shorter period of time. I have known Andy uh, Wells for a long time, almost almost as long as I've known Dale Falwell since probably 2001 two somewhere in that neighborhood. Good people. I mean, I, I, the, the latter more than the former I know well. And Dale Falwell is, is kind of an interesting fella. He is just like you would think, that, that guy that likes to save money, and he, he doesn't just do it in his personal life. He does it in his political life. He does. He cannot stand the thought of wasting money. He can't stand the thought of being wasteful at all. And so that extends into the way he runs political campaigns. So he doesn't surround himself with a big staff. He doesn't hire the professional spin artist. He doesn't hire the big ticket, big money uh, consultants. And in this instance, I think it's haunting him a little bit because Dale is someone who just he just wants to outwork his opponent instead of having it run as as a campaign. But we'll see how that all shakes out. Because as I said earlier, as as the news media continues to to attempt to spin. Biden's disastrous presidency into you know a well-baked cake it continues to haunt the news the legacy news media there's a border crisis I mean we talked about some of the stuff earlier where you know stock market gains uh, you know if you look at so let's go back to the issue the cumulative inflation when Biden finishes up will probably be over 20%. In other words prices overall will be 20% higher than they were when Biden took office. The Americans know this. They they absolutely know this, they understand this, and and, and no amount of spend is going to change that. There's a 30% tax on all Americans. By the way, real prices paid by normal Americans likely to be up by more than 30% by the time Biden's term ends. That's a 30% tax on all Americans' savings and ability to buy goods and services. It was the direct result of Biden's Federal Reserve creating new dollars out of the air to fund the deficit spending in the name of socialist-style central planning. If you keep going down this thing, the stock market gains abetted by reckless Federal Reserve eager to help re-elect Biden that is independent of presidents only during Republican administrations, reinforce that the rich have gotten richer while the poor and middle class have gotten poorer. Then there's a border crisis. Then there's the Ukrainian situation. Uh, in the border, thing, 2.4 million illegals entered in 2023 alone. That does not include the many who went undetected. The rate has recently increased to 12,000 a day. The government knows about 4.4 million annualized That we know about. And we also know 10 million illegals during that term. So 15, 14 million people. These are all disastrous numbers. Disastrous numbers. Kicking things off, I mean, I tell you what, we we do have the third hour getting ready to be underway. We're going to give you two terms. I'm going to give you nomophobia and abrosexual to cogitate, ponder upon as we go to the top of the hour. That's abrosexual and nomophobia. Yeah, we're gonna learn those terms on the other side of the break. Stay tuned here, the Pete Calendar Show on WBT. We'll be right back.